I used to teach trumpet. As a trumpet teacher, the most difficult task I faced was getting the students to practice perfectly. We used to say, perfect practice makes perfect until we were blue in the face. Some kids only heard the word practice. (laughs) Ew, what's the fun in that? I want to play in front of people. (laughs) Practice is boring. Well, son, playing in front of people is a funny thing. You got to be good. (laughs) Otherwise, unless you hold a gun to their head, the only people who are going to want to listen to you are your parents. And they might be a no-show. They've heard you play. Perfect practice makes perfect, okay? Then there were the kids who only heard the word perfect. I can't be perfect. How can I be perfect if I'm still practicing? These kids they had to have everything just right or they were paralyzed by the fear that they might do it wrong. So the goal was to show them how to practice perfectly so that their playing became perfect. Well, within human bounds. Even Maurice Andre occasionally made mistakes. But do we not have exactly the same problem in the church? One set really doesn't want to go to all the effort of practicing Christianity. They'd rather just wait until Jesus brings them into the new creation. Then I'll live perfectly. (laughs) The other set is just sure that if they mess up this practice thing, they for sure can never make the perfect that comes when Jesus calls everyone else, (laughs) home. So how do they each hear this verse? Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. When our kids were young, didn't we want them to be little ladies and gentlemen at church? (laughs) Well, all the time, but at least then, right? Even if we yelled at the kids, kicked the dog, you know, <laughs> demonstrated our own <clears throat> unrighteousness all through the week, right? And is it enough for us to act like ladies and gentlemen in our special dress, in our behavior at church? Is this some sort of practice of righteousness? We did learn that wolves do dress up in sheep's clothing and come to church and we sure don't think they are practicing righteousness. There's got to be more to it than just what we do here when we're all together. And of course there is. Fortunately, Scripture gives us some pretty practical teaching on proper Christian living, which is the aim of this Scripture. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Deceitful desires, the sensuality that builds calluses on our souls, it causes corruption that progresses in a downward death spiral. The old self as opposed to created new self, a new spiritual clothing, shall we say, the upward spiral of sanctification. We have to answer a question here. Is practicing righteousness an act of the will? Or is it a natural act of a true Christian? 
if we're screaming at our spouse or the kids one moment and sweetly answering the phone the next, hi, how are you? Are we okay? Will we be okay? What about when we're careful to be in our best behavior when the unsaved relatives are visiting? (laughs) To another church, Paul wrote, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Have put off, have put on, and is being renewed. So it is our nature... And it's a process. (laughs) Okay. How do we perfectly practice righteousness? Go back to the Ephesian letter. Paul gives five sets of wrong and right ways to practice righteousness. A negative and a positive in each set, if you will, and a purpose for practicing righteousness. How to overcome the old self, live the new self, and what the goal is of all this practice. Paul starts with the overriding principle, truth and lies. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Falsehood and truth. Let's bring this into the real world. My mom had a friend who was visited by the doctor back in the days when doctors went to people's houses. After examining her friend, the doctor patted her hand and told her, don't worry, everything will be okay. At which point she screamed, sobbing and weeping uncontrollably. The doctor was shocked. He jumped up in alarm. The relatives come rushing into the room. Everybody's talking and asking questions. And the ears shattering, screaming and crying. It was bedlam. And our poor doctor, he couldn't figure it out. What was going on? He told her everything would be okay. He went near the young woman again. I said everything's going to be okay. What's the matter? She said, that's what they said to my mother. Pardon me? When my mom was going to die, I sat right next to her. The doctor patted her hand and said, everything is going to be all right. But he lied. He went right out and told my dad she was going to die, but it would be best not to tell her since there was nothing anyone could do. She and I didn't know till a month later. Am I going to die? Wow. In the scripture, we are told to put away falsehood and speak truth. Why? For we are members one of another. This is the reason we are to change from falsehood to speaking truth. We are all God's family. We are members of one another. Whoever that first doctor was, (laughs) he was not a member with them, a member of the family, okay? Can we? But why did we used to lie? Because we were self-absorbed. Why deal with people who are, let's face it, a lot of trouble? Why should we now speak truth? Because we are us absorbed. People aren't trouble. We are members of God's family together, the body of Christ. 
that first doctor, he probably didn't want to deal with the scene his patient, the mother, would be sure to make. He could have just said nothing, but he took the easy route. How very convenient it was to say it was for her own good. (laughs) And Paul said, therefore. Therefore what? Well, obviously what just preceded this, some of which we just read, but most agree that he means everything he has said so far. Our doctrine, what do we believe about Christ? Christ's sacrifice, the unity we are to have. All of the letter that's before this he's talking about. These instructions, this one and all that follow, are the practical application of everything before it. All we know of Christ. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. There was a movie called True Lies that captures the world's thinking on telling the truth. The hero was a spy for the U.S. of A. He lied to his wife, his kids, everybody in his life, but it was okay because it was for the greater good. First, well, we're not called to be spies for Jesus. All right, let's get that one aside. But just like with that doctor and my mom's friend, lying for the greater good is still lying. It doesn't make it all right. And how is it that we think that we have a grasp of the greater good? Come on now. If God says falsehood is always wrong and truth is always best, maybe we'd better listen to him. He actually knows what the greater good is. And scale doesn't count, by the way. A little white lie is still a lie. Let's... <laughs> what is our aim? Where are we going with what we're saying? For whom are we speaking the truth or telling lies? Abandon falsehood. Stick to the truth. Okay. Now that we have an overriding principle, let's put some meat on these bones. Let's look at the first particular, handling your temper. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We have to ask ourselves a few questions. What's the point of our anger? Is it really about opposing evil? Is it for the other person's good? Or is it just something we do for ourselves? (laughs) Something we like to hold on to. That sun-go-down thing. Paul is saying, deal with anger now. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Is anger turned to sin a lack of trust? Do we not trust in the Lord Is that why we give way to anger until we sin? Paul said, give no opportunity to the devil. Opportunity is give no place, as in foothold. This was a term used to discuss the tactics of warfare. Don't let Satan get a beachhead. That's what he's saying. Fight him off by not allowing anger, even righteous anger, to get out of hand. There is no time in our lives when we're not at war. Just because the spiritual war is not visible to our five senses doesn't make it unreal. Satan and the demonic hordes are always there. They're always trying. Let's not make it easy for him to damage our lives. 
individually or as a group, letting our anger lead us into sin. Not that anger itself is necessarily bad. Dr. Nabil Qureshi, after giving his talk, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, told this amazing story in the Q&A. He's a medical doctor, and one day a 15-year-old girl is in labor is brought into the hospital. She was, he said, not willing to have the baby, so she had taken a large dose of crack cocaine because she had heard that it would cause you to go into premature labor. When the baby was born, she was very small, very light, breathing very heavily and obviously on the verge of death. But his job was to care for the mother, so he went in to talk to her, not knowing all the details yet. He found her texting, laughing, not a care in the world. And he asked, what's, what's going on? Am I in the right room? Is, is this the right baby? Is this your baby? Is... He was amazed to find that she would not refer to the baby as her, but as it. Some thing that didn't matter. Shocked at the level of apathy in the girl, anger welled up in him. She had killed her own child. But then he began to read her history. As a child... She was abused. She was raised in the midst of drug use. She didn't have a father in the picture. Listen closely to the next thought he had. Who do I get angry at? Is it her? Is it the father who was supposed to be in her life? Is it the people who were supposed to protect her? Who do I get angry at? He said, for the first time in my life, I was furious at the sin in the world. But in all this questioning, he found himself desiring to care for this girl. In spite of the heinous crime she'd committed, he found himself wanting to care for her. A number of times in the Old Testament we read, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger. But God does get angry. Now I know some of you might say, but isn't that an anthropopathism? <laughs> okay, you wouldn't say that because you're like normal people. But you might say, isn't that just projecting human emotions on God so that we can understand Him a little better? And alright, maybe so. But it's pretty hard to square with the great number of scriptures that assign anger to God for very specific actions of humanity. So I am of the opinion that God really does get angry. And if he does, he will stay angry at unrepentant sin forever. So why does God get to stay angry but we don't? Well, it's simple, because of our fallen sinful state. We cannot sustain anger without falling to Satan's temptations to abuse people in our anger. Might be why God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Dr. Qureshi, in caring for the 15-year-old who killed her own baby, said, it came to me that the love of a father goes beyond any sin a child might commit. His anger at the girl faded away. Still furious at sin, but overwhelmed with a father's love for a 15-year-old child 
he'd never met before. And the love of our Father God is better than any love of any human father. But let's go back. Why does our unchecked anger result in sin? Because those without a new life are concerned pretty much exclusively with themselves. Whatever went wrong hurt me, so I get angry about it. And why should those with a new life avoid letting anger go for too long? Because we should be more concerned with others than with ourselves. Both those in the body already and those not yet in the body. Because we are members one of another. Paul gets even more practical with this second particular instruction that deals with past sins. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We were takers, and now we are to be givers. We were users, now we're to be helpers. Why did we used to take from others? Easy, we were selfish. (laughs) We were looking out for number one. Even if it meant somebody else got hurt. It's a dog-eat-dog world. you got to be tough or you'll get run over. Do unto others before they do unto you. (laughs) Ever heard that one? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Have you ever noticed that the most obnoxious let-me-help-you-quit-smoking person is the ex-smoker? You ever noticed that? It's just the way it is. And the scriptures say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the ex-drug addict becomes a counselor for other drug addicts still captured by Satan to do his will. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So the alcoholic becomes a teetotaler. What's the purpose in what we do? The thief needs to share. Give instead of take. Why do we seek to share with others? Because we should care for others more than ourselves. Jesus cared for us more than he did for his own life. Well, we weren't all thieves. (laughs) And maybe we can convince ourselves we weren't such bad takers. But we all had and have problems with this next one, this third particular Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ah, Caustic speech versus constructive speech. Why was it so easy for us to say bad things about, and even to, people? Because we were selfish. Because protecting our own interests, making ourselves look good, was more important to us than protecting and building up others. Why did we find it so very hard to give someone a compliment? I know of some dads who never in their entire lives ever said, good job, to their kids. Why? It costs nothing to compliment someone. And you can change their life. So why do we struggle to build people up? Because our old man 
believes that giving ourselves away must mean we lose a part of ourselves. But it's not true. God tells us that we only gain ourselves when we give ourselves away. In fact, we can't even live the new life until we die to the old life. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will save it. We are his new creation. And how do we think God feels when we still live like our old self? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting means that which is rotten or that which causes rotting. Gossip, anything you say about another person that does not build them up. And they're dream squashers, that's another kind. You know them. You come up with this great way to help people and all they do is pick, pick, pick. Pick at the plan. Pick at you. Pick at anything. Pick. How can we... How are we helping people with our speech? It's one thing to be honest and forthright so that we help other people. It's a whole other thing to be spilling our guts and wearing people down. These are ways that talk can corrupt. And the word says, as fits the occasion. I love the Duggar family. I don't know if you've watched that 19 or 18 kids in town, whatever it is. But Jim Bob, the dad, he made a point that they read everything in Scripture to all their kids, regardless of their age. That's wrong. Sorry. The Apostle Paul wouldn't even teach some adults some spiritual truths because they weren't mature enough. Don't speak the same to all people. Don't speak the same at all times. Make sure it fits the occasion. Make sure there is a positive point in what we say. And speaking of points, Paul does the strangest thing. <laughs> you know, he's been talking about how Christians should interact with other people. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Be angry about evil, but don't sin. Stop your past sins and in fact do the reverse. Don't speak to others in a damaging way, but communicate to build up. All about human interaction, right? But in this fourth particular, he zeroes in on the crux of the matter. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is quoting only one of only two passages in the Old Testament that use the phrase Holy Spirit. God said to the children of Israel, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. To deal with people falsely is to rebel against God. To sin in anger is to rebel against God. To continue in past sins and not take corrective action is to rebel against God. To speak to people in a corrupting way rather than a healing, uplifting way is to rebel against God. 
And then what happens when we rebel against God? He turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. In what sense their enemy? (laughs) In driving them back to him. God loves us infinitely more than the best of earthly fathers and he will chastise those he loves. (laughs) And for him to do it in his anger against sin is a good thing. For us, not so much. (laughs) The point here is that we need to understand that our relationship with God is directly expressed in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When a person is willing and even eager to stomp on another believer, they grieve God. Ah, but fortunately, fortunately the reverse is true. If we focus on pleasing God, we will naturally care properly for others. And He will care for us. Usually through others. To not strive to be like Christ in these things, to act like our old man instead of the new, Paul said, is to act in rebellion against God and grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to rebel against God. So the Holy Spirit gives us some some words, some summarizing particulars. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Bitterness grows from self-pity when we should understand that God has us exactly where we need to be. (laughs) Wrath involves self-protection when we should let God take care of us. Sinful anger is self-absorption when we should be absorbed in the care of others. Clamor making lots of noise, lots of commotion, so that we, not to speak of those around us, can't hear God tell us about our sin. (laughs) Slander, attacking others with falsehoods so we won't have to deal with our own sins, which is one form of that harm-seeking anger, malice, intent to inflict injury, the dictionary says, harm or suffering on another. We must put away all these things and be kind to one another as God will forever be kind to us. We must allow God to make our hearts tender. He will teach us to forgive each other when the other is wrong, just like God in Christ did us. And actually Paul said, let these be put away from you. Let God, the Holy Spirit, take them out of your life. Don't hold on to them. All we have to do is open our hands, let the death grip that we have on these things relax. (laughs) Ask him and he will help us to be kind, doing what is suitable or fitting in a need. He will make us tenderhearted and compassionate. And God's goal of forgiveness, that's God's goal, will become ours also. And that is the goal. That's what Paul means when he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
we are to do as Christ did. And how did Jesus become a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God? Let's look again at the whole statement Jesus made about losing or saving our lives. The Son of Man, speaking of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It was an astonishment when it first came to me. Giving his life and dying for us wasn't just something Jesus did. The very nature of the Son is to give himself. To give himself as a sacrifice for undeserving human beings. That's his very nature. And that very son says, you do the same. You be the same. We have not learned to love until we have learned to sacrifice our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our community. Only then can we gain the real life that comes through Christ. Ah, can we trust God enough to give ourselves in sacrifice? We'll know we've learned to live and to love when we have learned to sacrifice our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We started with the Apostle John. Let's return to him again. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Perfect practice makes perfect. We need to practice perfection, that's righteousness, now. There was an event in each believer's life where they were made righteous before God through the blood of Jesus. Okay, There is a lifetime process whereby we practice the perfection we will one day that will one day be given to us. We must give ourselves over to the Spirit who is eager to fill us to overflowing so that we can put off the old self and put on the new. We can speak truth and not live in falsehood. Anger does not have to control us. We do not have to give an opportunity to Satan. We can stop being takers and instead personify sacrifice. Constructive and not caustic speech is our lot. Then we will bring joy to God as we are kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. We can imitate God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We can practice perfection. Let's pray.